0: I'm Walter Block I'm Jody Emery This is Adam Kokesh. I'm Jeffrey Tucker I'm Ben Swan. I'm Tom
1: Woods I'm Peter Schiff I'm Eric Voorhees And you're listening to And you're listening And you're listening you're You're listening
2: You're listening to
1: Ed and Ethan Soak Up the Awesomeness
0: to Ed Nathan, the voice of liberty in Canada, coming to you from Saskatoon in the province of Saskatchewan. My intrepid co-host Ed joins me, of course, today. Yay, Welcome yeah, back. I'm back. Yes. Yeah, it's been Good a while. Times. Good times. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's been fun without you, though. I get to mess everything up technically. Yeah, um, yeah it's okay, though. Yeah, what was it? It was uh, the Bitcoin show before last. I basically just ate up like six and a half minutes of dead air. Yeah, <laughs> I was, gonna, I was, I was at
3: work and I was I was listening and I was kind of like, oh no, <laughs> yeah, the what's poor going producer
0: <laughs> there. He like freaked out. He was like, what what's what's wrong? On, like what's going on? <laughs> anyway, all right, you're listening to us. Uh, thankfully, no dead air at the moment. You're listening to us on Liberty Express Radio at libertyexpressradio.com, the Liberty Radio Network, Liberty Movement Radio, uh, the Daily Paul Radio Network. We're open about them, for we're sure. over this guy. I can't do the once more to the breach, my friends. That's just stupid. Why do I keep doing that? Uh, it's like. I don't Maybe know. it's big, You know what it is? It's because yeah. when you're talking about uh, libertarian philosophy mm. and freedom, it just feels like a constant battle, doesn't it? I it mean, especially if you go on Facebook. That's a mistake. Don't go on Facebook. Yeah, just leave no. Facebook behind. <laughs> it,
3: it, it's, you know, it, you have these ideas, and then the mainstream has these ideas, and you mainstream thinks that you have this idea, but your idea is not. It's like way out we're, there. We're all racist baby killers. Yeah. That's what we are. Okay. So, hey, listen. Uh, we, and rich it, snobs, too, that. You know, rich white uh, snobs, man, right? Libertarians. Okay. <laughs> anyway, we,
0: so so we're going to, we, we mentioned at the start of the show, we're going to be talking to Stephen Kinsella. Uh, Stephen Kinsella has been on the show a couple times before, and it's always been a pleasure to have him. He's a patent attorney and libertarian writer in Houston, Texas. Uh, he's the founding and executive director of Libertarian Papers, uh, founder and director of the Center for the Study of Innovative Freedom—that's C4SIF. I'm sure you've seen uh, postings from that around. Uh, founding member of the Property and Freedom Society. Um, I think I've seen him described as a—I'm going to say—reluctant intellectual property uh, attorney. Yeah. So he should be connected yeah. with us now. Stefan, how's how's your day going?
1: It's going well, and you could describe me also as
0: Duh. We lost you. We (laughs) lost you, Stefan. You have to to repeat just how well you're doing and and how we could possibly describe you.
1: (laughs) All right. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. I think my connection's back. I I had a Skype burp.
0: Oh I'm well, you know Sorry. Skype burps suck, but okay, let's try that again. All Go right. on, try it
1: again. Sorry,
0: okay. No, no, what's? I'm not even going to edit any of this out. Ed, this is all okay. being left in. It's part of the character of the show. So, okay. so, so what's? Uh, so yeah, what, what's? Uh, how else could you describe this? Yeah, you know, this reluctant patent attorney.
1: Well, you know, uh, I'm. Uh... I am in Houston. That does have negative connotations, I guess, because Texas has this reputation. So I, I like to say I'm really from Louisiana. So at least it's the worst state in the nation, but at least it's kind of fun and interesting. So I'm a I'm one of the libertarian uh, libertarians from Louisiana. Put it well, that way.
0: Okay, explain why Texas has that reputation. Because are you referring to the uh, what was it like the Eastern East District Court. Uh, Eastern yeah. District Texas Court, the one that's very friendly to uh, intellectual patent attorney or intellectual patent plaintiffs?
1: Well, yeah, that's my particular beef with Texas, but yeah, I know that we have a reputation for being uh, you know, guns and yeehaw uh-huh. and immigrant, all this kind of stuff. But yeah, from my point of view, uh, it's, it's bizarre that close to Houston up in Marshall, Texas, uh, which is up the road a little bit from where I am, is the worst patent court in the nation. It's a federal district uh, court where all the patent plaintiffs go to sue –… to file their lawsuits. And, and so, so there are these little strip centers full of these little empty offices with little placards of companies that have just set up a $110-a-month a office so they can claim a presence in Texas so they can have a pretext to file their lawsuit here. Because under federal – US federal law, under copyright law, it's a national law, so you can sort of choose which federal district in the US to sue in if you want to sue someone for copyright or patent, and especially for patent… Um, the The District in Marshall, the Eastern District of Texas is known for giving wildly large and pro-patent patent plaintiff. Uh, Awards. So this is where everyone comes. It's sort of a big grab bag here.
3: (laughs) You say the worst in the nation. I would say the worst in the world. (laughs) Well, that's uh... true.
1: That's true. It's the worst in the nation. So therefore, it's the worst in the world because the U.S. is the worst in the world on IP. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I've seen studies that argue that you know the the United States uh, industries that lobby for patent and copyright, Hollywood, pharmaceuticals, um, some software industries, um, the music industry. Um, they are actually benefited by the copyright and patent law, uh, although the country as a whole is not. But in other countries, Canada, European countries, especially you know Asian countries and Africa, etc., they're actually harmed by these laws, which is why the US uses treaties and our heft in the world to strong arm these countries into adopting US-style um, i p law, which basically benefits Hollywood and the music industry and the pharmaceutical industry in America,
3: yeah, last time we had you on, we were talking about the uh, TPP, the trans-Pacific oh, partnership. Yeah. I don't know. has there been any more leaked info about that? or are we kind of still we're still pretty hush, hush, I think it because ha- it hasn't uh, went through went through the yeah, I haven't game heard much about that.
1: it lately, which which bo- which which worries mm. me it makes me notice, <laughs> you know um, so there's something going on behind the scenes. Uh, I suspect we're still strong arming people. It could be watered down a little bit, like ACTA was, if it passes. Uh, but it's it's going to be another ratcheting up of um, of uh, state power. And right. the, the perverse thing is, the you know the the U.S. Um, says once once we uh, adhere to these agreements, which we force everyone to accede to, we say, well, we can't modify our copyright law. That would be a uh, uh, that'd be a violation of our international <laughs> obligations. In fact, I was listening uh. Uh, this morning to the. … oral arguments in the Aereo case, which we can talk about if you guys want to, and one of the concerns one of the justices had was whether um, a ruling in Aereo's favor would put the United States in breach of the Berne Convention, which is the big copyright t- treaty that which which we, uh, we adhered to in the 1980s, which requires every member state to have certain minimum protections for copyright… So even if the US wanted to reduce our patent terms – sorry, our copyright terms to a certain you – know, to a smaller number closer to what was in place at the founding of the country 14 years roughly instead of 150 years…
0: Hmm, okay. So. We we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment, but before we do touch on that, before we get too distant from this Houston uh, or the the Eastern mm-hmm. District Federal Court thing whatever. Mm-hmm. I did mm-hmm. want to ask you cuz the impression I've always gotten, you know, being up here in the frozen wastes, my distant, mm-hmm. my perspective mm-hmm. is distant, right? What, is that is that federal court located in a in like a smaller population center? You said it's just kind of up the road yeah. from like yeah. so what okay, what what kind of, can you give me a feel for how big the population is around that court because you have corporations that are, you know, serve hundreds of millions of customers going to that court. Is it really is it in the middle of nowhere? Is it in the yes. middle of somewhere what it yep. is?
1: Yeah, middle, but it's about two, I think 100 and 20 miles or so from Houston, so it's the middle. It's Marshall, Texas, in the middle of nowhere. It's a little town, and they have not you know that's where the federal court is located for that huge district, and they acquired a reputation in the last few decades for being pro-patent, and now that's their claim to fame, right? So they recruit they recruit jurors, and they are known for um, being very quote strong on patent protection, which means very strong on. You know clamping down on innovation in my view right um and so that's their claim to fame now, and so they're going to want to keep that up just like just like in the u s Delaware has acquired a reputation for having really good um right uh, predictable corporate um corporate law rules, which is why many corporations incorporate in Delaware just for the predictability mm. yeah. Yeah, um, I, I so used to I used to hear those ads um,
0: on, on satellite radio all the time was incorporate in Delaware. It's the yes. best state to incorporate. Um, yes. Well this is hilarious. I'm looking at uh, the population for mm-hmm. Marshall. Under twenty-five thousand people, that's a small place for this for these big corporations <laughs> oh, to be going. That's it's incredible. crazy. And,
1: and if if you look up the reporting by a guy named I think his name is Joe Mullen, M-U-L-L-E-N, he's a great sort of copyright uh, reporter, and he sort of uh, gets the details of what's going on there. They take pictures. They go down these hallways of these little dinky st- strip centers, <laughs> and there's just an empty building with <laughs> dozens of doorways in a, in a darkly lit hallway, and they just hang their little sign out and, and just say, we have an office there. Wow. So you'll, you'll see all these patent troll companies have a little shingle on a little office um, in a strip center just just to have a presence there, wow. so they have a justification to file their lawsuits there.
0: God, I, I guess I shouldn't be laughing. That's like, actually pretty horrible. It's like,
3: what a better expression of state perversion of of the market, hey? Like yeah. just like so, how, so, how can it be any more plain than that?
1: Well, so to put it into context, when we talk about patent reform, one of the things people say is a patent reform measure would be to change the federal rules of venue. In other words... If you're sued in Marshall and the plaintiff and you really have no contact with Texas, you should be able to move it to another uh, another court in the country um, that is not quite as insanely pro-patent… And that is the level of disagreement. Or that's the level of argument we have about th- this. is This is labeled radical patent reform. Wow. Is just giving people the right to be sued in their own backyard instead of being sued in in Marshall, Texas. So if if that is the level of discussion about patent reform, you know that they're foreclosing any real debate about real patent reform, which would be like lowering the term from seventeen to. Five years and or something like that.
3: It's tough. This, this, we, we recent you recently, Ethan, posted something on our Facebook about copyright. And, uh, mm. and, and usually th- it seems like copyright with people, they do not understand this complex issue and they think that people are being harmed and the government is really there to help you. Right. And this is so uh, <laughs> tough because it's such like, it's, com- it's a complex issue if you don't really kind of know and understand uh, where property rights come from. Right. But the average person completely is like, yeah, copyright is totally legitimate.
0: Well, you look at this case, we, we can get to this, uh, I think, Aereo or Aero, uh, this case where... So basically what's going on here, uh, from my understanding, is that this company is taking... Uh, broadcast signals from, I guess, the likes of, say, CNN or whatever, I don't know, uh, and and streaming it over the web. Uh, oh, it's at that charging... website I watch every morning. No, no, it charges a fee, a monthly membership. Oh, it membership. charges a fee. Yeah. Oh, so, I just do it for free. Well, comparable to when people would throw up an antenna or, you know, would subscribe to cable, whatever, right? They're pulling mm. off these signals that mm-hmm. are being broadcast by cable companies. So They're just not asking for permission. Is, is the whole thing? Is that what's going on? Well, it seems on? like they might be violating some copyright. So, Stefan, give us your expert sort of overview of what this case is about.
1: Okay, so to put it in simple terms, um, uh, and CNN is actually a bad example because CNN okay. was the cable news network that was started on purpose as one of the early cable companies. But there has been a practice uh, starting in the what, 40s, 50s in the U.S. of broadcast TV, NBC, CBS, um, ABC, um, and they broadcast their content over the airwaves. Now, nowadays, most people get cable, so they, um, they get even the broadcast channels plus the cable channels over their cable provider. The cable pro- provider has to pay some kind of license fee to broadcast to, – to transmit to you the CBS, NBC, ABC signals. Hmm. But if you wanted to um, – and this is under US federal copyright law since the 1970s. If you wanted to just have an antenna on your roof, you could receive PBS, ABC, NBC, and maybe Fox, some some of these broadcast stations. And under Supreme Court decisions uh, in the US under copyright law in the last couple of decades, it's become clear that this sort of private right you have to receive the information being sent over the airwaves and to record it and to time shift it Okay, under the Sony decisions and other decisions. Um, you have these private sort of rights. So what Aereo did was they were very creatively tried to comply precisely with the decisions that had been given out to date. So what they said was, we know that if we just have a big antenna and we and we just record everything that's broadcast and we we send it to people, we're going to be a cable company or we're going to be subject to licensing and royalties and all that. But so instead what we're going to do is we're going we're to provide a service to users to let them do what they could do privately in their own homes remotely. So they basically – instead of having a big antenna, they have thousands of dime-sized antennas, and they lease one to every customer. And then they lease space in their DVR farm basically um, up in the cloud. The right So you can go onto your uh, Aereo account, and you can say – I live in Boston, and I would like to record the following broadcast signal that's being broadcast in Boston, which I would have the right to do at home, Mm -hmm. and record it on my own leased space in the memory of um, Aereo's server farm, and then I can play it on demand. So Aereo's argument is that all they're doing is extending the length of the wire from…  … From, … From, from your DVR and your antenna in your home to a remote antenna and a remote DVR space at Aereo. So Aereo is uh, just you know, renting you the equipment to let you do what you could do legally under the law already. So they're, they're trying to work around the restrictions in copyright law, and in the Supreme Court uh, argument, you know, they use terms like Aereo is circumventing copyright law. which really means Aereo is complying with copyright law. (laughs) So um, it's hard to predict what the court will do. The court just heard arguments last week in the US. This is going to be a monumental copyright case in the US, kind of like the Sony and the Betamax and the uh, Cablevision cases in the recent decades. Um, If they decide against Aereo, it could jeopardize… The entire industry of cloud-based services and cloud locker storage services like, like say, say Dropbox and companies like that because Mm. you could characterize what they're doing as a public performance too, Um, and it could be a a violation of copyright law. The court – most of the justices on the court seemed very concerned that a ruling in favor of or against Aereo… Would, would would jeopardize the, uh, the this high-tech cloud-based industry. So my suspicion is they will either roll against Aereo but in a narrow way, and they will carve out an exception for cloud-based locker services. <laughs> but since that is almost – th- that's very difficult to do, I think they're going to rule in favor of Aereo. And whether they make it narrow or not, I don't know. But if they rule in favor of Aereo, it's really good. It will, it will basically um, start forcing the um, – the content providers to get with the 21st century and stop relying upon mm-hmm. 20th century uh, distribution models.
0: Right. Okay. Well, so it'll be good in this instance. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I've never been a fan of courts, but uh, that are monopolized. But whatever. So, but the, but if they rule against, so okay, if they rule against Aero or whatever, however you pronounce that. So basically,
1: Aero
3: it's Aero. Okay. I'll just think Not of Aero like the uh, Chocobar. bar. That's what I was. That's I don't know Aero. Yeah. So you gotta you like, know, like, incorporate think, the two. You
1: uh, think Areopagitica? <laughs> no. Just anyway.
0: So, but if they if they if they rule against, you're basically saying that any any, any uh, service like Dropbox that we're familiar with now will essentially have a right of exclusion in regards to the competition, right? So they can basically say, you know, they'll carve out this niche for services like that. Uh, and then anybody, any new market entrant that wants to get in on the, on that sort of game. So you look at, uh, for instance, right now, you look at decentralized services that are, um, <clears throat> that are promising to uh, provide Dropbox-like services through something like the Bitcoin protocol. Um, mm. That could be exposing people everywhere to incredible legal liabilities if this court rules against Aereo.
1: Yes, and so uh, we're seeing little glimmers of this already about what could happen if Aereo loses. Um, just the other day, some 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 Dropbox user posted a screenshot of what happened when he tried to share a file privately with some other some other friend of his or whatever. Hmm. And before he posted, when he sent the link to someone, Dropbox had apparently done a scan of his file of the hashtag Mm. of the file and they had detected there was copyrighted material in the file and they sent him a little warning, we can't let you share this file unless you, you know, show that it's not a violation of copyright. So it was a private use of his own private space on Dropbox and he was just trying to privately share it with someone, which is what people use Dropbox for quite often, is to share large files. Mm -hmm. So obviously I'm not blaming Dropbox. Dropbox is doing this because of a concern that they're going to be secondarily liable for a possible copyright infringement of their users. Uh, And that is because of copyright law in the first place. And because uh, copyright law, in the U.S. at least, has these safe harbors. If you do certain things, if you act in a certain way, if you respond to DMCA takedown notices, for example, like on YouTube, then you're you're immune from liability. So that is why these companies um, overreact and they become – overly sensorial, just to get the safe harbor. So because mm. of fear of liability of copyright law, companies will become very conservative. And so my prediction is that if this continues, what's going to happen is two things. Uh, customers, let's say in the West, in the US, they will just start using companies in Europe or in Africa or in Asia. They'll just start using fly-by-night companies or companies outside of the West or the outside of the US. Mm. So it's going to kill Dropbox, but Dropbox uh, – new zealand might crop up or whatever right mm-hmm. or dropbox uh, 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 senegal i don't know um and then encryption is going to be on the rise too so ah. if you start encrypting your files privately then the hashtag system these companies want to use can't work and they can throw their hands up and say well we tried but we can't Whoa. see what these these customers have
3: yeah, what's that guy the the mega guy what's yeah kim.com Kim, Kim Kim. com. yeah, yeah. He's, I think, uh, his new the, the government came in. You know, I watched a Vice documentary about that. They like stormed his house, like <laughs> full on choppers and yeah, like they SWAT totally raid type <laughs> thing. And then like it was funny, like they took the, it took everything.
0: And then like the next day, he put something up.
3: If it was like ten <laughs> times better and all encrypted, it was like just hilarious yeah, well, the I, government yeah. was so funny. I
0: have some reservations about Kim.com dot and, and his approach to all of this stuff. I you know, statists gonna state. But anyway, <laughs> when you uh, when when you look at this, I'm concerned a lot more about these legal liabilities that people could be exposed to because Stefan, you, you mentioned that people could, you know, start using, you know, fly by night companies in whatever country jurisdiction. I look at, you know, the foreign exchange market and foreign exchange brokers. Um and the the situation there is that uh, American regulation has basically extended its tentacles across the world to uh, to to make it so that if any foreign exchange broker wishes to be licensed with their local uh, authorities, That's right, they yeah. also have to exclude. American customers. So the only way that uh, you can you can uh, accept American customers if you're a company in say Finland is to not be registered with Finland's financial services authority. Right. So yes. so. In other words, I'm 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 looking at this as more as more serious than just using fly by night companies. I'm looking at this as maybe potentially uh, constricting that competition globally, like just taking all of that opportunity for using cloud based storage systems and, and the like, yeah. and just completely making it inaccessible to most Americans in particular.
1: Well, I agree completely. Um, look, the, the 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 dilemma that we Westerners that are libertarians have is that. We, we recognize, like a lot of libertarians do, that there was something especially libertarian-ish about the early American experiment. So there's this connection between the United States of America and libertarianism. And so we're reluctant to acknowledge or to admit that, in a way, America has become the worst imperialist power on the earth. It shouldn't really su- surprise us that the, the country with the most liberal sort of early heritage and the biggest economy because we're large so we be, we became rich because of our libertarian or liberal internal laws mm-hmm. it's no surprise that the country that has that status will have a government that's going to be the richest in the world as well because it parasite parasitically you know survives off of the wealth of the country yep. on the internal it's going to become externally the most militant and imperialistic country so um um, it's hard for us to accept that – to condemn the country, we, I think we have to separate out the libertarian heritage of some of our thinkers and our traditions from the state that arises from this wealth and parasites off of this wealth. So um, one, let me give one one example. The United States um, in the, I think, 1970s enacted this uh, law the um, the uh, which prevents uh, – which makes it illegal under U.S. law for American companies to bribe foreign foreign governments. Um, it's called the FCPA, the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Okay. And and they're they're saying it's, you can go to jail if you're an American company and you bribe a foreign government to get regulations or you know, permits mm-hmm. or whatever. Now, in other countries at the time, that was Regular practice, and you could even deduct it from your taxes as a business expense. <laughs> and, okay. okay, and so you the U.S. passes this law, and it puts American companies at a, at a relative disadvantage to other companies because they're in the practice of bribing when they need to bribe. They need to grease the wheels to get projects done in Saudi Arabia or whatever. Um, and so, of course, because of this, uh, this, uh, this. Uh, This cost that's being imposed upon American companies, the solution is not to get rid of the law to Mm -hmm. remove the cost, but it's to spread this cost worldwide. So the (laughs) United States in the last 15, 20 years Hmm. has caused the uh, OECD to uh, enact a treaty on anti-bribery, which about 40, 42 countries – the the biggest ones have signed on to already – which basically imposes on all these co- countries similar anti bribery protections, so it's like if we're going to hobble American businessmen, let's hobble everyone else so that their Americans are not at a competitive disadvantage Wow so it, so so <laughs> I, I I suspect Canada is part of this too because yeah. You know, you guys do what we say. Usually, fifty-first <laughs> state, we're fifty-first yeah, yeah. state. <laughs> that's pretty much it. It's
0: true. That's true. That's pretty much how it is. You know, so all... so
1: that's an example. The another example would be American tax law, American antitrust law, uh, American environmental law. All these things are applied extraterritori- extraterritorially, unlike the way other countries do it. I mean, America is incredibly imperialistic in their in the reach of their um, tax law, sure. anti bribery law. And, uh, and antitrust law, things like that, and yeah. I- IP law, of course, too. IP laws is another thing we explore Yeah, it's to the rest
0: of. it's sickening how it spreads. Hey, listen, Stefan, we're just at the end of the segment. Can we keep you for kind of an after show? Uh, on uh, you can download it at ednathan. Would that be okay, uh, Stefan? Let's do it. Okay, cool. So we'll be back right after the music if you're on our RSS feed, you're watching on the YouTubes, whatever. Uh, Stefan Kinsella, you can find writing from Stefan Kinsella at c4sif.org. That's the Center for Study of Innovative Freedom, again, at c4sif.org. Or you can just go to his personal website. You can also do that to stephankinsella.com. That's S T E P H A N K I N S E L L A.com. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening to us right here on Liberty Express Radio. It's been a pleasure it as it is every week. EdNETHAN.com if you want to check us out. Uh, yeah, I'm not forgetting anything. This is Nathan. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, so. After show, we are kicking back a bit, you know. You, we do the after show thing. All right, so, so Stefan, um, to there are some other there are some other things I want to touch on here too. But yeah, I mean, this is this is something that I think is really important to understand. It's just, it's I don't know why why does why does America have this reason? It's in the
3: Constitution? <laughs> that's 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 where I was going to go with it. Like, since, really? since well, is not intellectual property or copyright? It, isn't that in the Constitution Is like one like wasn't it
0: put in there initially too I don't know we have to ask Obama he's the constitutional <laughs> scholar but we don't have him we don't have him on the line though so so <laughs> Stefan <Constitution laughs> what oh, man. yeah I'm not sure oh, a okay, scholar I, of, I don't uh, know of which <laughs> consti- he, a scholar of which constitution I'm not sure but anyway we I, so Stefan. Uh, what, 1984 book maybe <laughs> is, 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 is intellectual property in the Constitution I don't know if we've asked you this before is, is there a provision in the Constitution anywhere For intellectual property rights?
1: Yes So the U.S. Constitution uh, enacted 17, uh, Ratified 1789 There is a provision that uh, Permits Congress to enact um, Copyright and patent law mm-hmm. Now uh, if you read this, the clause they use the word sciences to promote the sciences and the arts. So it says that Congress can, can doesn't have to, can provide uh, basically monopoly protection for, for the works of author of, of science and the arts. Uh, the interesting thing is that um, the wording is reversed to what we would use now. When they said science, they meant the arts. Well, th- when they said science, they meant copyright because. Science was the, the the knowledge of the of the, of the mind, right? Conscience, right? The word conscience or okay. science, um, and mm. the arts meant um, the arts actually meant practical gizmos, like the like think of the word artisan. Hmm. So, it was actually reversed to what most people think of nowadays. So, when they said you can protect the the products of science and the arts, they meant copyright and patent.
0: Okay, that's. I, that's weird, because I don't... Yeah, I don't know. That's so the, sorry, the, the definite, I got a
1: phone call. Are we back now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we didn't even notice. Uh... <laughs> okay, sorry, my phone just rang. Um, so, yeah, So so 1789... Now, I have an argument that in 1791, right? So the Constitution was enacted in 1789 with no Bill of Rights, but there was a promise of a Bill of Rights. In 1791, two years later, the Bill of Rights was finally enacted. The first 12 sort of the first 10 amendments to the constitution there were two others that were tabled and one by the way the first amendment so the first amendment we think of right now is the freedom of speech mm-hmm. was originally a third amendment proposed the first and the second amendments um were were not enacted or they were not ratified so uh, hmm. all, amendments 3 through through 12 were ratified and they became 1 through 10 and in, in 1991 or 1995 or something, like just two decades ago, finally the, the final state ratified the first original amendment, which had to do with wow. uh, congressional pay during, during their term in office, and that became the 27th Amendment to the Constitution. So the 27th Amendment to the US Constitution, which is the last one that's ever been ratified, probably the last one that ever will be ratified, um, was the original First Amendment to the Constitution… Um, But in any case, my argument is that the Bill of Rights had freedom of speech. It had protection against uh, warrantless uh, searches of homes. Mm -hmm. It had protection of of due process in the Fifth Amendment. It had uh, uh, a prohibition upon excessive fines in the Eighth Amendment, cruel and unusual punishment and excessive fines. And I believe that every one of those is violated by copyright and patent law, especially copyright law. So my, my view is that the Bill of Rights basically overturned the grant of patent and copyright power, especially copyright power, in the 1789 Constitution. So I believe that the entire federal patent and copyright law edifice we have is unconstitutional because of the Bill of Rights. Okay. But of course, the, of course, don't see it that way.
0: Well, why, why would you say specifically like what, – what in the Bill of Rights overturned copyright? Explain so, the, the process. So,
1: so, Okay, so the Bill of Rights guarantees freedom of speech, freedom of press, Uh due process of law, uh, and it bans uh, excessive funds. Now, the copyright law has Mm. like $75,000 or something like that per per copyright breach, which is why you can have some housewife like Jamie Thomas um, sued for millions of dollars for uploading a dozen songs to the internet, and that's clearly disproportionate punishment, and uh, uh, the the penalty has nothing to do with the crime or the damages caused. Mm -hmm, So I think it violates the Eighth Amendment. Uh, The courts explicitly recognize that there's a – they call it a tension, a tension between copyright law and freedom of speech or freedom (laughs) of the press because copyright law says you can't publish certain things. You can't say certain things in certain ways. So normally that would be um, just unconstitutional because of the First Amendment, but what the court says is that we have to balance these things. Well, we have, one, we have one part of the Constitution that says that we can have a copyright law, but we have another part that says that we, can, um, we have freedom of speech and freedom of the press. Um, so we have to balance them out, and we have to find uh, the balance, and so they do this balancing act, and they, they allow some copyright law but not others, et cetera. <laughs> but the problem with that reasoning is that the, the, the First Amendment was enacted in 1791. And the copyright clause was 1789. So if there's a conflict, the later provision yeah. should govern. You uh-huh. shouldn't balance them out. Just like the US banned alcohol right, in the early 20th, 20th century, and then we later repealed it. Now, the reason alcohol prohibition is repealed is because the repealing amendment came after. So mm-hmm. in legislation and in constitutional mm-hmm. enactment, the later statute, the later provision always… Is … The, is the one that governs. I mean that's why you can override a, 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 a statute by a later provision. So that's the main argument I think that um, even in the US, the, uh, the copyright law is clearly unconstitutional because it violates the Bill of Rights.
0: Okay, that's actually really interesting. I hadn't, you know, because I, unlike Obama, I am not a constitutional scholar, (laughs) so I, you know, I don't, I don't have this perspective. That's actually pretty cool, because I, I don't know when it comes to the Constitution. You know, Ed did mention something about, oh, it's also vague, and that's true. I mean, when I look at all of this stuff, it's an interesting sort of. I almost want to say like it's it's mental masturbation in a sense <laughs> like you're, right 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 but it, and and it is so vague you know I I I hear uh, sometimes on on Liberty Express I hear um oh darn it what's Chris her Ann name? Hall Chris Ann Hall yeah. she's she's a constitutional expert and she talks a lot about the constitution but you know whenever I hear words like unreasonable search and seizure Yep 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 Well yep. you know that's not that, that's not to me that's not really a natural law that is that is a kind of a uh, you know uh, advancing in the game of guesswork right? mm. <laughs> it's just kind of we have a law and it might apply and it might not' we'll, we'll figure it out <laughs> and, and 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 in the end we're gonna do it in a really uncompetitive fashion because we're gonna monopolize the system that figures it out for you mm. so you know it, it's all very interesting I guess to me it just boils down quite simply and I, I would suspect of course it's the same for you Stefan it, it boils down pretty simply right to natural rights Um I know that you understand, even with your, your, your legal mind and, and your understanding of all of these laws and how they interact with one another, I, I know that you understand, certainly, that this is all, it's, it's pretty much make-believe, right?
1: So, <laughs> the way I look at it is this. Um, these traditional protections you're talking about um, do evolve over time. Le- mm-hmm. legal, legal understanding of rights and the relationship of powers do evolve over time. And I agree that there's a vagueness, there's an ambiguity, there's a lack of precision and rigor in these statements like um, reasonableness, but to me that's not the, the main issue. At, at least it's the idea there that there's a limit to what the sovereign can do. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the main problem with today's legal system is not the ambiguity, which is inherent in verbal reasoning and verbal statements of, 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 of these ideas… The main problem is that law is conceived of as being the emission or the the statement of some body that can just announce what the law is, which is the legislature or the sovereign. Right. It w- it's what we call in law legal positivism. Um, in older times, the idea of law was we are trying to discern a body of normative law that governs human interpersonal relationships… It's not an exact science like physics is or chemistry, but at least we're trying to find the basic rules that should govern human behavior. It may be imprecise. We may make a mistake, but at least that's what – we're trying to do justice. We're trying to find the right way people should live among each other. But the modern conception of law is whatever the government body that is tasked with announcing law announces as law. So if they say…  … here's the law in a written document like the Constitution or in a statute, then the job of the courts becomes not to do justice between parties before them. So in the olden conception of things and the libertarian idea of um, some kind of reasonable settlement of disputes, right? you go before a neutral arbitrator or a judge or a court, and you say A has this case, B has this case, and the the, the court…  … … or the tribunal tries to do justice between them, and they try to find the right result. They're trying to do justice. Hmm. The job of modern courts is simply to interpret words written down on paper. In other words, if the copyright uh. statute says, well, if you have a, quote, public performance, unquote, then royalties are owed and you can't do such and such. <laughs> so then the job of the court, which is the case in the Aereo case we discussed earlier… … the job of the court is simply to interpret words, which may have nothing to do with justice or may be contrary to justice. Mm. So their only job is to say, what does the word public performance mean? has nothing to do with justice. So to my mind, this is the hmm. problem with the modern conception of law, and if you ask the regular person on the street, I, I'm afraid that their conception of justice has been corrupted and distorted because of the, uh, the government domination of this field. If you say, what is a law? They're, in their mind, they're thinking of a piece of paper with something written on it, like a statute that the government enacted. Right. That's, what they th- that's what they think law is nowadays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But people didn't used to think of law as that. So I'm afraid we've become servile and docile and mm. subservient to the government um, just telling us what the rules should be.
0: Um, yeah, I wonder how, so how that, that happens. So that's hmm. one
1: of my concerns.
0: Well, yeah, but that's, see, that's why I look at this as a problem of monopolized, centralized structures well, of law.
3: I just want to, I thought, like, I'm just trying to, I can't remember the name, but isn't there like two parts of like, the, like I can't, I'm not going to screw this up how to describe <laughs> this? Because, yeah. So, like, law that is uh, specific, like the person is being attacked, and then law where it's specific, the government is being attacked. So like I can't remember the term. It's like it's some Latin term they use. Do, do you do you under you kind of were? <laughs> you can, you can, you Steph, I, can you help me out? Help me out.
1: I'm search I'm searching my law school Latin memory for this, and uh, I'm, I'm not sh- I'm um, I'm not following this. Uh, no. Okay. Although yeah. I'm happy to attack the government and not the, not the person. <laughs> well. Well, in the law, there's in rem versus in personam, but that just distinguishes between contractual rights and property rights. Hmm. So I don't know. Um,
3: it, it's something like um, you're harming the government, uh, and then, which is it, I think it's totally, it's total, it's total nonsense. Well, it's,
1: maybe you're thinking of an offense against the state, something like that. Something like that, yeah. Well, I mean that that is sort of the distinction, right? We have in today's law of, of public crime mm-hmm. versus a tort. So. Uh, uh, Most yeah, liber- yeah, yeah,
3: that's what yeah, that's where that's where it's going from. Like you have the, the essentially private justice, where you have uh, individuals are using um what's it called uh, the arbitration, mm-hmm. and, and they're not using the court system. They actually use the court system to threaten people cause, to take them to court because it costs so much money. But you have you have the two sets of of different. Ah, I want to. I can't remember this. I remember Michael Dean was talking about this, and they were talking. He was talking about. Uh, copyright in this specific uh, example. And he was mm-hmm. saying that copyright is essentially the government law, and it doesn't really, there's no person that is being harmed. It's, it's the perception of a person, because that whole corporation thing, too.
1: Right. So in private, in private law, and private law could be both contractual and property rights, or it could be a tort based thing, but it's always one party, one private party versus another. So that's private law. Um, so, to, in today's law, we we view a criminal or a criminal or someone who violates a criminal statute as basically committing a breach of the peace, or they're committing a crime against the state. Mm. Which which is one reason I've always been confused by all these TV shows and novels that 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 show that in a criminal proceeding, the government prosecutor goes to the victim and says, "Do you want to press charges or not?" Because it's not like the victim is the is the defendant or the plaintiff in the case or sorry the plaintiff, um, so i've never quite understood that I think they're mixing together two things because the government can prosecute someone even if the victim doesn't want them to mm-hmm. right because they're not the plaintiff in the case, so the idea is that a crime is a crime against the peace or the public or the state, um, whereas the libertarian conception is that there's always a victim, and in fact, if you, if you require any trial or any proceeding to always be by a victim who is the plaintiff against a particular named uh, def- uh, offender, the, the malfeaser, then it would limit the scope of a lot of the law we have now. You wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to have a drug crime or an anti-pornography law mm-hmm. or a tax law because there's, there's no identifiable plaintiff who has actually been aggressed against… Um, … by the defendant, which is why the government likes to have this general notion of crime, which is a violation of whatever rules the state decrees. So they, they disconnected a victim, so they've taken out the requirement that there, that there be a victim mm-hmm. who's been harmed. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a private law system, of course, there would have to be a victim who's identifiable, and they would be the plaintiff, and it would basically be a tort case.
3: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. You know, it's so tough because all these uh, – it's such a um, a mishmash, and it's all just thrown together, and they just – they never repeal any laws. They just add new ones <laughs> to it. So, like, how do you ever – do you ever see this being solved other than, like – like everybody, like everything, gets bombed. The government <laughs> just, the, just, just destroy right everything. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. This is this is so tough. What do you what do you? Think I, I, I,
1: well, okay. So I, I think that that of course is um, <laughs> that is of course not at the present time um, uh, conceivable that mm-hmm. we're going to defeat the government by armed revolution. Whether it's legitimate or not is another question. Um, but it's just not practical right now. The mm. government far out outarms us um well hold on i mean
0: the the well i guess in a sense that's true but i mean if you just look at gun ownership levels you you, the citizenry is in fact in in possession of far more firearms you know rifles handguns and the like Than government, it's just they don't have as many tanks and nukes. So there is a bit of an imbalance. I'll I'll, take that. Yeah, there's tanks and nukes. I
1: mean, there's that, right? (laughs) Just that, I guess you know, that does come up. Like what I'm
3: what I'm thinking of is like what happened in Egypt, where the the people just rose up and then they just stormed into the government buildings and Mm -hmm. then like took. Took all the documents from like the secret police and stuff like that. <laughs> like if if we storm into the copyright buildings and just take all the law stuff and get rid of all the files, then, then no one's gonna know. Then you know,
1: <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah, well, uh, well, let me ask you guys a question. Isn't there some kind of bizarre regulation in Canada about what they call long guns or something? Don't oh, they call yes. rifles long guns or something? Yeah, we have we the long
0: registry. gun registry. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> it's so absurd to own a handgun. You have to be actually a member of a range. And you, and, and you have to, before you go to the range, you have to submit a route from your house to the range, to the government, and you have to let them know when you're going to use that. Yeah, don't and if deviate. you don't, that's illegal. And you're a criminal. <laughs> it's incredible.
1: Yeah, every, everyone thinks America is a weird country because we have this kind of weird mishmash of traditions and ideas. But Canada's weird because you sort of have the American free spirit, but you go with <laughs> European socialist controls, yeah. like in a docile way. It's weird, like socialized medicine, <laughs> guns. It's 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 just bizarre. It it's is kind know? of bizarre.
3: There's more of an English uh, over overlord sense, that's for sure.
0: Well, yeah, we we are still attached to the royalty and and constitutional uh, monarchy is. Uh, that's right. Bizarre. That's our that's our yeah. government structure. We, we you know we we have. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's creepy
2: saying that. You know.
0: Oh. Well (laughs) I mean, you know, Canada's kind of built on on a on a on a history of having this sort of connection to uh monarchies and and having you know people being granted rights and lordships and you know kind of you know these fiefdoms existed and that's kind mm-hmm. of how that all started whereas in the united states you guys you know given the middle similar finger and said, well similar no. roots but let's face it things were a lot more i'm going to say decentralized in the in the beginning in, in yeah, a sense yeah uh, i'm not going to say you know it was all freedom and, and fantastic but it was it was certainly different than than canada's
1: roots yeah, but apparently, uh, I listened to a podcast recently with. Um, oh, it was on Russ Roberts' podcast. There was a guy talking about the banking system in Canada and mm. how the banking system. Um, I think it was on Econ Talk, and in, in the last two months, it was really good, and it was about how just serendipitously, or for, for whatever reasons, Canada's banking system has escaped um, all the bizarre American uh, structural, you know, features. And, um, you know, the, Can- the Canadian banking system has turned out to be a lot better than what the U.S. ended uh-huh. up doing.
3: Well, maybe you, maybe before the uh, yeah. 30s there, where we had like... Uh
0: one of the freest banking systems in the world, actually. Yeah, we were actually a global banking hub in the early 1900s, right? But, but I mean, in, in the mid-30s, we got the Central Bank of Canada. That, that came into existence. It's kind of funny because it's contrasted really well against the Ameri- you know, the, the American experience of the Great Depression and the Canadian experience of the Great Depression has this really interesting contrast, where in the American experience, you you guys had thousands of local bank failures. Mm-hmm. And in Canada, where we didn't have that lender of last resort... Right like, like right. you could count them on one hand, right? right. Yeah, well uh, that's colors.
1: that's what the guy pointed out. So um that was that was quite interesting. So yeah, but um, I mean,
0: but I mean, today, look, it, it, where we are it's now, just... it's funny. We used to have what was it in about two thousand nine, two thousand ten? We used to have this narrative where you know Canada's got this really strong banking system now, so we're right. you know we're really well positioned. And we never got a bailout either. Yeah, well, well, not a public one. We found that there was a lot of secret <laughs> bailouts going on. But anyway, we but 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 now, I mean, we don't even have that narrative anymore because it it would be laughable. Our consumer debt levels are ridiculously high. Yes. We have an overheated housing market. You look at. A, it's a worse castle, than the states at the peak. You, you can buy a castle on the eastern side of Canada for as much <laughs> as it costs for a dilapidated one-bedroom bungalow on, on the western coast of Canada. So it's just ridiculous how we're going on. It's not a good place now.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think since the 60s, maybe up until the 60s or roughly something like that, um, it was superior. But nowadays, mm. it's all being dominated by the, uh, the U.S. type system and imperialism. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah yep. Only six big banks, I think. Hey.
0: Yeah. We six big banks. And, uh, and yeah, they're all connected by this horrible octopus like sort of central banking system. Hey, you know, the system that's shared around the world. Right. Um, so yeah, I guess I don't know. In, in, in I don't even know where we were going. So yeah, how did we get here? <laughs> yeah. so where did we? I, yeah, I don't know. I, I lost track, but
1: uh, I think uh, <laughs> did you guys want to talk about the net neutrality? Sort I, of I did yeah. want yeah. yeah, I did yeah, want to bring that,
0: that up with you, Stefan. So, so 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 we do have. Okay, we've talked about on the show here before net neutrality. I actually am very much opposed to any regulation that imposes, you know, this this sort of fair internet use doctrine, right? Um, Stefan, right now there's something. Can you kind of give me like a, a bit of a primer as to what's going on right now in the United States? Because I know there's been some deregulation of some, uh, re regulation, I guess we want to call it. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, yeah so, what was so, that?
1: So, so, so in the US, l- l- let's just talk about the main players. The main players will be the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, which governs radio transmissions and communications. <laughs> … but also the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, which governs antitrust and competition law. Okay, So here's my understanding. Um, there was a, a case in 2010 which said that the FCC regulations trying to impose some version of net neutrality uh, were not legal because of the way the FCC is mandated. Um, now… I think the FCC can come back and they can just tailor those rules, which they're trying to do, to comply with the way their their mandate is, and they can impose some form of net neutrality, which means basically some kind of rule by the U.S. federal government against uh, ISPs that says you can't engage in certain forms of what they call discrimination. Mm. Right Now, apparently what's going on right now is they are proposing rules that say that You can't do outright discrimination. You can't – if you're an ISP, you can't block certain traffic that you don't like, like, I guess, child pornography or terrorism or a competitor's signal. But you can grant faster access to someone who pays you a fee. So they're doing it the reverse way. So they're saying that if – some, like let's say Netflix makes a deal with a given ISP or cable company and says that… Netflix traffic is going to get a fast track on your ISP backbone mm. if they pay an extra fee, which of course will be passed on partially to the consumers, right? right. So it's 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 really discrimination uh, in reverse language. Now, as a libertarian, we have no problem with price discrimination, yeah. which means you can pay more for a better service, right? Um, the real problem, as, as a libertarian, as I see it, is that. Um, … there are certain entrenched quasi-monopolistic interests that have a status that they wouldn't have without the government involvement in the first place. So there is not – there is a problem, but the solution is not to have the government come in and fix the problem because the government caused the problem in the first place. The solution is for the government to get out of it altogether and let let a free market operate. Right. Um, so from what I've seen, the… The backdown from the attempt by the FCC to impose net neutrality rules and the kind of uh, diluted version they're proposing now is is roughly a good thing, although, as I said, I'm concerned that the FTC, the antitrust laws, will will be starting they, they will start using those things after the fact. So it's almost like a free, free speech regulation, whether it's before the fact or after the fact. I think what they're going to do is instead of saying ahead of time what you have to do, they're going to just watch the situation. And and if the FTC says you have a monopolistic position or you're abusing your monopoly, that's an anti-competitive thing to do, the FTC will step in. So I suspect that what's going to happen is the FCC um, regulations will be toned down, which is kind of a good thing. But in the background, the government will reserve the right to use antitrust law or competition law, as it's called in Europe, to come in after the fact and say you had you guys have to change what you're doing because you're abusing your monopoly status right which the government which the government has given them by the way their monopoly status <laughs> well stuff. yeah of course <laughs> so so here okay here
0: here's a here's the problem i see with all of this and 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 are right staff to point out that really government is is the central focal point of of where the hiccups start right because right I there there are real serious problems here in that if you if you sort of re-regulate in a more free fashion right then you're 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 gonna have I want to say okay you're gonna you're gonna get a situation where so you get for example Netflix right so they get to pay for uh, better uh, traffic from Comcast so Comcast from their perspective because they're in a non-competitive environment say, okay, so I've got, let's just split this into units of 100. I've got 100, you know, uh, whatever uh, units of bandwidth to give away. Netflix wants 10 of them. The other 90 I use for generalized internet traffic. Or let's say it's the other 80, and this, use, this leaves 10 units of, of overhead, right? So you've got, you know, this 10 units of space. I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to describe okay. bandwidth, right? Okay. But what happens in a non-competitive environment is instead of Comcast saying, well, oh, that's getting a little tight you know we better we better actually build out more infrastructure we better you know <laughs> better do instead of that happening comcast says well we don't really have to worry about competition so what we'll do is we're just going to start charging more to keep that mm-hmm. small buffer zone mm-hmm. open right and and everything's going to get more expensive nothing's going to get built out basically what i'm trying to clumsily explain is that the lack of competition coupled with this deregulation will be harmful to further development of internet traffic It's not going to help in that respect, but it's not going to be because of the loss of net neutrality. It's going to be because of the remaining imposition of government-established monopolies or otherwise constricted competition in the market.
1: Well, I think that's um, very well said. I agree completely with what you just said. Um, uh, Another way to look at it is that the effect of these government policies is to slow down innovation and mm-hmm. dynamic reform of market solutions that would otherwise occur. Um, we can see this in copyright law. I mean, you have these legacy industries like uh, Hollywood and the music industry, and they are clinging on for dear life to the outdated models that originated in the 40s, 50s, 60s, mm-hmm. 90s in the U.S., um, and they will milk it as long as they can, right? So and not only in music and creative work, but in technology as well, like 3D printing and other things. Pharmaceuticals, they will cling to their monopolies as long as they can. They will extract every dollar they can until the model becomes unviable. Yes, eventually these government-granted monopolies, whether it's copyright or patent or other forms of monopolies that are sort of hidden and obscured, like the ones we're talking about with net neutrality and the FDA process for pharmaceuticals, etc., they will finally recede mm. and pass away because of time or because of technological innovation, yeah. but it does hamper and impede and slow down progress. Uh, it lets people cling to old models. Um, we, we think we're modern in 2014. We right. feel like we're modern, but there is no telling what kinds of um, innovations that we're going to have in 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. Some of which we may have had already, if if the government hadn't slowed things down. I
3: will agree with you that it does impede, but I think it also does. It also enforces people to innovate because then they then they use the decentralization of the internet to get around copyright and open source. Open source wouldn't exist if we wouldn't have had. Government copyright. Well, yeah, I, I I
1: agree. You you could argue that Bitcoin, for example, would not would not have emerged yeah. if the government hadn't cracked down on gold. So, so some Austrians and libertarians think that gold is the ideal money. Let's say, right. um, and that in a free in a free society, a private law society, as Hoppe calls it, we would have gold, and maybe Bitcoin would never have emerged in the way it has. But Bitcoin has emerged because of a response to the way the government has controlled things. So there are some things that have emerged because of government control, which, which only is an indication that the government distorts law and life and society and culture. It distorts things. It corrupts things, right. which is similar to the business cycle uh, of Mises, uh, you know, the idea that the, the entire business cycle of the economy is corrupted and distorted by yeah. government interventions mm-hmm. and has effects…
0: I I can agree with that. I'm not sure if I agree entirely that something like Bitcoin wouldn't have come out of the ether because... Uh yes, Bitcoin is primarily right now it's kind of a a, a way to route around the market dysfunction that is government distortion, right? But at the same mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. you know there are real fundamental values that are expressed by Vic- Bitcoin, you know, d- d- it solves that old problem that computer programmers had, right? Sure, yeah, exactly. So Bitcoin in in the field of computer science solves the Byzantine Generals problem. It 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 provides a new sort of technology for Uh, triple entry accounting, accounting, an open ledger system. So there are other value expressions there, right? And I, you know, I, I I think, yeah, okay. It's I think it's apropos to say that, yeah, this stuff wouldn't have emerged in the same fashion. That kind of goes without saying. But would it have emerged? Yeah, probably because this is simply a case of of utility. Is it useful to the human condition or is it not? And and if it is, yeah, I think there's a, a motivation to develop it, right?
1: Yeah, no, no I, no, I totally agree with that. I, um, I'm probably overstating my case. I, uh, I just think that the anti-state, or way of getting getting around state uh, interventions, is one one reason people yeah. are going to Bitcoin right now, and that that would not exist absent the state. But the other the other advantage is. Very well, could be. Look, maybe Bitcoin would have emerged 30 years ago without the government. You know, I don't know. Yeah, sure. um,
0: but but I mean, the the, the state is essentially a, a violent obstruction, right? So if you're if you if you if you get rid of that violent obstruction, it seems to me that it's yeah, you get rid of a, a market motivation for overcoming that violent obstruction. But in 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 the absence of that violent obstruction, oh it seems like there's just so much better motivation oh. to develop in the marketplace and also much dream. more freedom, right? We can dream, man. So so so. <laughs> <laughs> we can dream. That's why we talk about this stuff. But it just seems like in an open market, vi- absence of that violence, absence the you know the outright murder of a quarter billion people over the last century, Ugh. that kind of thing. Absent that, there seems to be a lot more opportunity for innovation than than uh, than exists today because as a consequence of obstruction. That's what I'm trying to kind of lay out.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I unfortunately I agree with you, so I don't think we have a disagreement here. <laughs> I, I, I'm totally I'm totally in tune with you guys on this. Um, That's okay.
0: I, I like it yeah. when people say they agree with me. I, I'm quite I'm, quiet. <laughs> I I'm okay with time. that. Every time, <laughs> I every so time. So did we
3: flesh out? Did we flesh out really? Uh, like because w- essentially, net neutrality. The cursory overview from the general population is net neutrality. That that is a good law yeah. that is in place. Yeah. And it, it, it protects the individual on the internet from the big scary corporations. And of course, you know, that is a like I remember when this debate was happening of the net neutrality bill. This was the very first law to regulate the internet. And this this law was being touted as yeah. the law to end all laws to be further <laughs> for regulating the internet. <laughs> and it's just like, wait, they're they're dipping they're their hand in the pot. Um. And they're saying that this is the only one we're going to do. Like, I'm going to believe that one, hey, yeah. you know, type of thing. So well, what? so, so,
1: so, so <laughs> here, here, here's what I think is the best possible spin on it. Um, the average person is not that in tune with our libertarian sensibilities. Yeah. And they equate, equate big corporations with the government. Now, they're not completely wrong to do so. They, right. they, do sense, they do sense some connection, and we decry that as libertarians as corporatism mm. or crony capitalism or whatever. So they're not completely wrong, and they sense that something is wrong, and they just want freedom. They don't want these companies to do unreasonable, outrageous things, and they sense, I believe, that these companies are, get, are able to get away with things they couldn't get away with if they weren't connected to the government or the state in the first place. So, I think the general sensibility is basically right. Um, it's informed by sort of an incomplete political and technological understanding, but I can understand the average person's um, sensibilities. Um, here's what I would say I would say the internet is a profound development in human history. You know, would it start 15, 17 years ago? 1995,
0: 1994, yeah, roughly. Well, I mean, yeah, there, yeah, kind of consumer right. level, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, in terms of its blossoming and being aware, of everyone being aware of it, and uh, any government regulation that threatens to control it is something we should be very concerned about. And I would, I would, I would include in that any net neutrality regulations by the government, pro or con. I mean, if the government is getting involved at all in it, I think we should be concerned. So we should just push for a very free internet, as free of government control and restriction as possible. And luckily, I think that it's gotten the genie out of the bottle. I think that with encryption, with uh, second and third internets, with Bitcoin, Namecoin type type technology, Mm. um, hopefully the internet has gotten to a point where it cannot be snuffed out. I, I kind of think if if the U.S. government and the other governments had realized in 1990 mm-hmm. or 95 what the internet was going to result in, plus you know cell phone technology, video recording, mm-hmm. all this mm-hmm. stuff, they would have they would have just outlawed it. But it's too late. I think it's too late. And so let's let's hope that by the time they become aware of other things like encryption technology, Bitcoin, um, it's going to be too late to outlaw it. So um, I think. No matter the details of any government regulation of the internet, under the guise of net neutrality or censorship or stopping terrorism or pornography, child pornography, uh, money laundering, whatever, we have to be extremely skeptical of any government attempts to have any any authority whatsoever over you know these kind of communications between people over the um, distributed um, yeah. network we call the internet.
3: You know, I, I like to think kind of a ed stoner corner i I like to think that the internet (laughs) the internet is the brain synapses you know how the brain Mm -hmm. each individual Mm -hmm. brain cell is like a a little piece of information is kept there Mm -hmm. we are those each person is that uh that brain cell and then the internet is the synapses that connect us all together so the hive mind this hive mind idea (laughs) where you have (laughs) <laughs> did, that's what I said that's why I proved like your with the Dude, you're, you're, you're losing all of your you're losing
1: all of your Rush fans and your i fans <laughs> right now <laughs> oh, God. Yeah,
3: well, I don't know. There's, there's it'll set us free, man. I really do think that this is going to set get, us. free
1: Getty Lee and Neil Pert are like rolling over in their <laughs> premature graves right now. Well, I mean, there's some, there's some, <laughs> there's
0: some merit to the idea that you 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 have this kind. Of, it, it, it is, I think Ed is describing kind of a, a mutual uh, collaboration structure, right? You get uh, there's an opportunity here for people to be able to collaborate in a manner that they never would have been able to before. You know, pre 1995. And, and that's that's been so significant. There's been so much value in that infrastructure. I mean, right. it, it's it's just huge. You know, it was so easily dismissed at the time. We had on our Bitcoin uh, weekday show, we had uh, uh, somebody uh, was it Tur? I can't remember if it was Ter to me, sir, or not. It was somebody telling us about how you know this visionary. Uh, at the time was saying, well, you know, if the internet's so great, why does my local mall do more mm. business in a day than the that's whole right. internet does in a month, right? Right, it, right, right. It's like there there now, of course, is very clearly that huge value expression. It, it, communication is so valuable, and I think that's part of also why you're right, Stefan, in that it probably has come to a point where it can't be snuffed out anymore, especially now when you look at open-sourced, decentralized technologies that are being developed uh, by people in in various uh, uh, hack space communities, that kind of Mm. thing. So I I don't know. I see this as, yes, it is a giant collaborative effort that involves anybody who wants to participate, and I've... I think I think sharing that information. Is it's huge. part of that path to freedom. It's part mm-hmm. of that path to making those centralized structures that we're so used to. That people think of, you know, you mentioned people. You ask them in the street, "What is a law?" It's whatever you know the elected representatives wrote down on paper. Well, I think we're fi- we're fast approaching that point in time where a law or an idea becomes so much less uh, centralized than that, and people start to understand that it's what comes out of the ether. Mm.
1: Uh, yeah. I, think, I think so too, and I, but I do think that there's a growing sense of, um, of um, illegitimacy among people. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they know the government is a joke basically. They put up with it. They think it's necessary, but they think it's incompetent and unjust and increasingly a joke, which I think is a good thing. So if you think about the institutions and the practices in society that are being undermined by technology and free markets – I know left libertarians uh, decry globalism and shipping tangerines from New Zealand on a ship to the US and whatever right. because they think it's subsidized by public roads and shipping lanes protected by the US military, et cetera. But globalization and the internet has done something – so for example, you, you can hire – you can outsource some guy in, in, in Chile or or India – the web services you need for your for your for your website or for your for your radio show. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's this commerce that's increased and this interconnection, this intercourse between people, right? Um, and the government can't stop that. They can't regulate you talking to a friend in Bolivia or mm-hmm. hiring him to design a logo for you if you need it for your business. Mm-hmm. Right, So to my mind, these things are slowly creeping out of the government's control, and if the government cracks down on it, then we can use encryption, and we can use torrents, and we can use a dark net. Uh, lots of techniques that the government just is going to increasingly be unable to, to stop, so I think that it's like water… Sort of finding the cracks. Mm. Liberty is like water mm-hmm. uh, right It's going to mm. find these cracks and it's going to seep through and it's going to keep going and the government just can't <sighs> put the fingers in all the dikes. I hope
0: I wow. hope I like that note yeah. of finality and it's probably mm-hmm. a good place to to yeah. kind of leave off for now. and there's more stuff I wanted to talk to you about, Stefan, but I know we're taking up a lot of your time and I really do appreciate because you came to us today on, on pretty short notice so um, <clears throat> it's very kind of you to stick around with us as you have. Um, look, there's there's so much out there in respect to how liberty finds uh, that next human mind, right? How how mm. it expresses value to people, and I think you're absolutely right to talk about it like water going through the cracks. It's just it's that inevitable. <laughs> That's the way I see it's it. Sound like Marxists talking about uh, the, uh, <laughs> the,
3: the the inevitable Marxist <laughs> revolution? Now uh, well, history like, just moving forward. Well, but...
1: I, I, I will I will just say that I. I hope, along with Marxists, that the state will wither away. Uh, just not in the way not in the way that they that they thought.
0: Well, I don't know. To, to me, it seems like Marxists want the state to wither away Be- before they take, take it over and state. destroy everything. Yeah, so. exactly. exactly. All right. Exactly. So Stefan, thanks a bunch. I want to mention again c4sif.org is where you can find Center for Study of Innovative Freedom and and there's so much good material you throw up on there. So I'm, I'm uh, i really do hope people do check that out. And and also I, are you still doing that uh, that podcast with, oh, with, with Mr. Jeffrey Tucker. Tucker there? Every every
1: Yeah, year? well, we were doing a weekly thing called Liberty Talk and we yeah. need to I think next week we may revive that. So yes. Jeff and cool. I Jeff and I talk often and we're going to do another podcast. Yeah well just, uh, just been
0: pretty busy hey with so so i mean i don't no. know i guess i guess it's probably been difficult to line that up again and again um but yeah all right cool so stefan kinsella thank you very much for joining us today i really do appreciate it. it's always a lot of fun to talk to you and i'm sure we'll have you back again at some point
1: thanks guys good to do it all right cheers
0: always love stefan
3: coming on man he's, yeah, oh, yeah. he's a good guy he's got a good brain on his head there and I, I love the fact that we, we we like to plug that reluctant patent journey because <laughs> it yeah. really is, man. It's yeah. it's so tough.
0: Well, you know, it, it would seem contradictory, right? But I mean, yeah. here's the thing. is that Stefan Kinsella is, he is in that world. He's got mm-hmm. the best understanding of it that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting to see somebody kind of that view from the mm-hmm. inside. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. And just
3: quickly, before we move on to the BitTorrent thing with, with Netflix and, and talking about that I I brought this up in the show. It, we didn't really touch on it much, but people, I, even libertarians, it seems, have mm. really tough time <laughs> with intellectual property. Oh right, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah, it's it true. It seems it just seems like they they feel they don't feel right when when possibly people are 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 there someone is impo- imposing or impo- um, taking their work and passing it off as their own and then selling it. And they think that they're really entitled to those consumers, which yeah. is really tough. Like, it, it's tough for some people to get the like. I know for myself, it took me a little bit. It honestly did. Oh, yeah. But
0: once I understood the principle, I was like, yeah,
3: that makes total no, sense. No, it's
0: same for me too. Right? Was it was basic, and it's all about that consequentialist thinking. Right? Is is. But what about those people who depend upon the current paradigm? Mm-hmm. What about those people who are who are producing art? What about those people who are doing so in within the system that exists today? How are they served? And that's very consequentialist, right? Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't speak to principle; and, it speaks to and, wants for certain. And outcomes. once you
3: point out though that that you are the aggressor, if you mm. want the state to protect your right to your consumers, once you point that out, man. Right there, you got to feel something that ain't that ain't right. Like you, you are the aggressor. You definitely are the aggressor if you getting the state to go and attack people because they're they're copying your work. Yeah, yeah. So that's something to think about. But in the sense of uh, this whole net neutrality nonsense, a solution mm. to Netflix, uh, well, BitTorrent,
0: but- yay, BitTorrent. Well, yeah, there's a, there's there's this idea out there that uh, Netflix should defeat uh, internet service providers. By, by utilizing peer-to-peer technology, right? Because this is one of the things, when we talk about net neutrality and we talk about preferential treatment for certain service providers, mm-hmm. like, say, Netflix, mm-hmm. um, then you get into this position where, well, you know, the ISPs are kind of the gatekeepers. Well, what's the answer to the gatekeeper? Decentralization, mm-hmm. de- yeah, you know distribution of networks, and that's what peer-to-peer is. So so how would this work? Like Like, now the technology exists, and you can
3: right now. Download mm-hmm. a file like a TV show on Utorrent and stream it while it's downloading. Yeah, like that is like <laughs> it's so incredible. So it is. what is stopping Netflix from kind of setting up a little similar system where two people are watching the same show? Why yeah. couldn't they just share that traffic? Like there's yeah, all it would be was be a quick little code thing. Like I don't know how it works. Maybe it wouldn't be a quick code, but it seemed like it would be fairly simple to have that set up. So then. That that help. So then, net um, service providers would be like, yay, good. <laughs> maybe maybe not the service providers that are throttling uh,
0: torrent traffic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it might not be so good
3: for those consumers. Well, service providers
0: but, that want to facilitate the that sort of a network traffic. They want want to be able to be able want to be able to help people access uh, distributed uh, internet traffic. Then sure, it'd be good for them. I, I just find it hilarious that that the
3: the the service providers you know they the, they're they're upset that that uh you know that people are downloading big files or streaming uh stuff cuz it 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 hogs up a lot of the, lot of the network and then the free market the 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 nobody specifically nobody invented uh this idea of of torrenting right right it, it,
0: oh, maybe there was one. There, person. There's there's I a progenitor for the idea. That. Yeah, um, but it was but, it was a guy that uh, oh I can't remember his name. But, was was uh, he from Sweden? I'm I'm guessing he's from Sweden. I don't, I don't know. Know. actually. I think he's American. But.
3: but yeah, it's it's interesting because this would solve their problem. Is this it would solve the problem because the traffic would be distributed throughout the whole network
0: instead of just these big, massive, uh, hogs of bandwidth that you need. It's kind to take. Of funny, you know, the answer to all of the stuff in the technology space. Seems to be again and again and again. I could like we, I don't know if it, it just maybe Bitcoin has provided me some context, but it's it seems to be decentralization or distribution every mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. about it's about taking away the role of the gatekeeper and finding a solution in the market around what it that is. a basically a market dysfunction, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Netflix would probably do well to. Try to search, and and I think they are actually. I think uh, in this article, yes, they, you pulled up, they,
3: yeah, uh, they are looking into uh, researching peer to peer architecture.
0: Yeah, so that's cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Um, and there were some other stories I wanted to I wanted to look at real quick. There's okay. We do you remember on? Uh, I can't remember how many episodes it was ago, but I was I was I was kind of uh, moaning and whining about hey, you know why shouldn't I be able to put some decals on the side of my truck and scream down the highway <laughs> with flashing lights and a siren everybody get out of my way because I'm a trucker. You know, I'm a hero. Yeah. And it's funny because we, when we were talking about that, it was, it was kind of like, you know, it was all tongue-in-cheek. You know, I'm you know, I am doing something for the community. I'm providing value Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. you know, police officers get this hero worship, but I do a job that I, you know, I put my neck on the line for it. Truck drivers die in the line of duty. (laughs) So, so where's my blind, stupid, nonsensical, know nothing, (laughs) non-minded, you know, hero worship. Where's my, where's my, where's my hero worship? Um, and this is another statistic that kind of actually really bolsters that tongue-in-cheek argument. Turns out, top ten uh, most dangerous, most lethal occupations in the United States, cops don't even make the list. Yeah, and my job is actually it number is. seven. It is. It is, I is on was the list. Astonished. Yeah. It was like, pretty come on! I, it's just hilarious. You know, you you, you think about this stuff. It, it's all humor. It's funny. It's but turns out, you know, in humor, it's there's kind of a root of truth. And here. Yeah, it's and it's not even it's it's like, number
3: seven uh, truck drivers, Yeah, number yeah. seven
0: truck drivers, 22.8 uh, to, uh, fatalities per hundred thousand employed uh, logging workers top the list at 127.8 fatalities per hundred thousand employed um, roofers, garbage collectors are on there. Uh, aircraft pilots, uh, electrical power line Yeah,
3: that one kind of perplexes me. On that one, I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, I don't know. They, they do hang off the side of those trucks quite often. Maybe they, uh, you know, maybe they let go at the yeah, wrong time. I don't know. I haven't seen too many of that. Fall I, uh, for into the most a part, vicious dog. For the most part,
3: they're like <laughs> truck know. drivers, and they just they just drive trucks. You think that that would. Yeah, you know what I mean, like, well, it depends
0: on the technology used, right? Yeah, like that's they're, right, they're I guess. Di- there's different technology for, right. for picking up garbage. It's kind of fun, and, it, and it's
3: and it's they're are usually union <laughs> type jobs <Yeah>. to, it, <laughs> from the city, so there's no innovation in that respect, yeah. you know. So it doesn't yeah.
0: surprise me that farmers and ranchers make the list at number nine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it, my experience when I was hauling grain, uh, my experience on some farms was just hilarious. Like I remember there was uh, there was one situation where. The farmer was augering out, I think it was canola into into, uh, into the truck. And so he, when you get into a canola, like a, one of those grain storage bins, when you get to the bottom of the bin and all the canola is almost gone, basically what you have to do is you have to go into the bin and with a shovel, yep. shovel the canola Been into there. the auger. Done that. Yeah, done stuff. Hot work, right? <laughs> oh, that's that's God, sweaty, it sucks. sweaty, sweaty work. But anyway, and it's funny because usually and, yeah. these augers have a grill over top of them. So, you, you know, if That's you right. brush your foot against it, you'll hit the grill rather get than get caught in. in the auger. Right. <laughs> well, this old farmer, I remember shoveling, you know, he's shoveling canola into the auger. No grill. And he's in this kind of pile of canola. So he's slipping towards the auger. Sometimes he's like, oh, that was close. <laughs> like, you could die. It's interesting. It's <laughs>
3: interesting you, you talk about this. I, I actually uh, I worked for a farmer. Uh, in my teen years where he actually had this little contraption set up where it was like this three pieced auger yeah. arm yeah, where he, you, you connect it to the auger and you, you, you would have to just, you just walk around in the bin and they would auger all the grain to it, <laughs> okay. but it was completely exposed. Right? <laughs> right. So you're like, you're essentially like walking around with this thing that could like suck you <laughs> into the machine <laughs> and, and you're walking in grain and the grain is like moving yeah. and stuff. It's like. Man, it's super dangerous. Well, but, you know, well, I remember all, when, when good, I was but. in
0: that situation, I was there with another driver who was basically teaching me that, you know, showing me the ropes. And I, I remember looking at him going, that's not really very safe. And he's like, well, we'll come to the farm, you know? Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. But, but you, I mean, you get paid a little bit more too. Like, I remember I got, yeah. I got a decent wage to do a little bit more
3: dangerous work because, you know, it was, yeah. it was more dangerous. And I was getting paid, uh, I think it was getting paid more than minimum wage too because yeah. of that.
0: And, when i was in the Risk oil field uh, it was more dangerous than the oil field that's actually where i broke my neck initially yeah when initially I mean, you know, all the <laughs> other all the other times too it was terrible no i've only done that <laughs> once thankfully but we you know uh i got i got a very good premium pay not just because oil is valuable but because also i was doing work that you know was a little bit more demanding more tough and more dangerous mm-hmm. um so yeah you, you that's a value judgment you trade off but but the t- cops <laughs> i'm sorry you know what pretty safe job in respect to lethality, because you know you buy into that myth, right? A yeah. police officer goes out to protect the community and protect you from the evil villains that patrol our streets, or whatever, right? Like, you you firefighters are not on the list, either. You no, know, firefighters aren't, and that's kind of interesting. But you know what? Firefighters don't aggress against people. That's probably yeah. you know uh, that probably helps their safety. They have a more legitimate they- function. <laughs> No, but I mean, it's these emergency services. um, I, you know, I find a great deal of respect for firefighters, for paramedics, but police officers, it's different. Police officers, we also, part of the reason that we are told this myth of how they protect the peace of our community, never mind the fact that they actually destroy it. But, you know, we, we get told this myth, and it's about how they put their, their necks on the line for us. Like, it's the ultimate sacrifice. That's where that hero worship comes from, right? Meanwhile, while I whip down the highway, risking my life, in fact... In a much more real sense Mm -hmm. than any police officer out there, you know, I can end up in a slough off a bridge, uh, hit a patch of ice, and I go flying off the road into a you know gaggle of cows. I don't know what could happen to me, right? And and I'm providing real nonviolent value. I'm not pulling somebody over for going too fast. I'm not beating the crap out of somebody for, you know, ingesting the wrong drug. I'm not out there... Uh, finding somebody for jaywalking,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, judging for their own whether or, or not it was safe to cross the street. I'm not looking at somebody going through a red light where there was no traffic and then causing them economic damage.
3: Yes. Now I agree with you. I agree with you 100. percent But we also have to. They they do perform somewhat of a legitimate function of if you are getting robbed. You I know, think it's a vast minority. I know, I know, I, but it does happen. It does happen, and. Yeah, you know, they for the most part they come there and they they write on a piece of paper and they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll look after this like your stolen property or whatever. But sometimes they do actually are legitimately helping people in a certain sense. But it is yeah, sure, it is a small. I, yeah, you know, you're right. That you're is right. their function to protect well. life
0: and property. In the no, idea a, of what the yeah, what that's they their believe right, function, yeah. right, yeah. And, and we we've talked about that too about how insurance companies don't exist in a proper paradigm yes, to to provide right. that real incentive. We talked about that guy who had the backhoe stolen, and he went to the police, and they that's said right. basically, okay, sorry, it's, it we'll really sucks the that your big you know half quarter million half million dollar piece mm-hmm. of equipment is gone, but oh well. So what did he do? Hired a helicopter. I think it was a helicopter to yeah, fly yeah, around yeah. and look for it and found it. Mm-hmm. But the police didn't help them because they didn't have any incentive to help them. Right. Yep. This is a non-competitive yep. service that's provided to people uh, on the basis of violent theft. And, that is taxation. And
3: I do. And I kind of have to backtrack. So I, they, they do have a, 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 the, the idea they have to protect us. But we've seen in a couple court cases in the United States to show that they actually don't haven't send cuz remember there was More like a couple <laughs> yeah so and like we actually have a story in in the list there too where they go outright steal from people and let's, they get get prosecuted let's go that story
0: that was um what was that that was uh, no, oh there this it is one. yeah it's uh, from philly.com so okay there're 22 Philadelphia bodega owners right and these people are you know they're just running their businesses and not really related to one another. There might be some connection in a couple of cases, bas- but basically, twenty-two separate individuals who all have the identical story. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. Okay, hmm, I wonder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so basically, um, a Philadelphia plainclothes narcotics squad uh, barreled into the immigrants' bodegas, guns drawn. They cut the wires on the video store on the store's video surveillance systems wow man like they really robbed thousands of dollars from the cash drawers stole food and merchandise and then trashed the shops on their way out the door this sounds like something from like uh some third world country Oh, well, as it says here in the article, you'd think that would have been enough to get the cops busted or at the very least fired. But this is Philadelphia, (laughs) where a disgusted veteran officer tells the writer here, the only way a cop can lose his job in this city is if he shoots another cop during roll call. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, basically... um, they uh they these these police officers who outright stole, and they were in they were in their uniforms too, uh that was are, plain clothes. there, there are instances of uniformed officers doing this um but basically they're not gonna lose their job they're they're on desk duty for now, and they're gonna be back out on the street eventually,
3: wow, protecting and
0: serving you some more hmm. good stuff, yeah, it's really messed up like it, it it's crazy this is it's about the incentive system and how it's structured, right? Mm. Does the incentive system yeah. actually provide competitive means for finding why somebody wants a service? Would you voluntarily give your money to a, a service that robs people outright? Or Plain robs you. Robs you,
3: <laughs> yeah. Like, like what? Like, oh, like, like there's the whole robbing thing through taxes and then there's the whole actual, well, I don't know what to say because the robbing thing, taxes, that's actual robbing too. But there's like right out blatant theft, and robbery from the
2: police.
3: Yeah,
0: and and it's it's so disrespectful. It's so, like, it is is not that customer service-focused interaction, right? Mm -hmm. There's this other story, Mm -hmm. too, of this, uh, an Air Force captain. And it's funny, you know, in this this article that we pulled up, he's, uh, it's Nicholas mm, Aquino, I think? So he's, there's a video at the bottom of this article, and it's basically him touting, you know join the air force i'm an air force <laughs> captain this is about freedom and i want to serve here. my country yeah. and it's so glorious and great this is what freedom it's tastes like, like, like my know. parents ran from tyranny
3: yeah. to come to the united states they he was given 2 2 hours to leave the country or was going to get something locked like up something
0: like that yeah yeah uh, but so then what does this you know uh, this Air Force captain who engaged in this propagandist video about how great the Air Force is and how wonderful it's serving your country is well. It turns out that he's probably not going to be, well, it, At the, for the time being, he's not be able to go back to school. He's got a military-based education that's going on, but he, he's not going to be able to attend school because he's being charged with something. Now, he's being charged with, I think it was resisting arrest and obstructing,
3: what was it? Um...
0: no, 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 no. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's um, what it was, it,
3: it, which is which is incredible because that doesn't make any sense. How can you be charged with that? There should there has to be okay. something initially. Well, wrong well here's in the what first happened. Okay, so,
0: so yeah, seven weeks after the ordeal, he received a warrant for his arrest from county prosecutors for resisting arrest and obstructing a, police, a peace officer. So, so here's what happened. He was walking around his home. Uh, I don't know if it was his on his own property. Yeah, I yeah. believe it was outside. I think it was outside his home, although I don't think it's specific in the story. But anyway, um, somebody calls. And says, you know, there's a suspicious person, suspicious person walking around mm. the outside of this house. Cops show up, uh, demand identification from him. He's on his own property, so he says, "No." Christmas <laughs> um, <he laughs> cake, right there. Yeah, he asks <laughs> if he's being detained. So then the cop says, "Yes, oh. you are being detained." Um, so then he shows him his ID, um, and even he even gets to a point where he has he shows them bills that proves he's the resident wow. of that location he gets handcuffed thrown in the back of a cruiser the cops break into his home okay mm. i'm not sure if it was unlocked and they just walked in whatever but they basically they go into his home um now he's being—he's facing. Basically, he here's the the genesis. He didn't of have this any situation, illegal. They didn't right? find any illegal drugs in his house. No. So the fishing expedition, I assume they probably yeah. went on when they went inside, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But he, but basically, here's what it boils down to: He was walking around on his own property. Cops show up, harass him. Now he's being charged with resisting. Or like they this initiated is this incredible. problem. Yeah. Is
3: and it, some busybody too, right? Calling yeah somebody peering over there
0: he's a suspicious individual Uh. (laughs) like like, you know and even if if that was uh, you know maybe that's not all bad maybe when somebody's walking around your house and they're you know Wearing a dark shirt and carrying around like a big red he's got, he's picking a, bag he's or something, a yeah, sure. or a ski mask I or whatever. Like, yeah. Maybe you'd want somebody to call the local protection service to say, "Hey, you, you guys should check this out." I mean, like you know, um, you know, he's, he's suspiciously poking a coat hanger into a car. I don't know, like you know, you maybe you'd want somebody to call. That's not unreasonable. But when the cops show up and basically they're power tripping, right? Mm-hmm. They're just yeah. showing like. You know, it's a simple inquiry, right? Do you live here? Yes or no? Yes. Anything you might be able to show me to prove that you do? Because, you know, your neighbors are kind of worried that Mm -hmm. your home might be being treated. That sounds uh, reasonable. Yeah. You know, I mean, and even at that point, it's basically, you know, you have to kind of take the You you don't have any information that tells you specifically that this suspicious person is engaged in any nefarious activity.
3: Mm -hmm. Well, you could just say, no, it's my house. And you don't, you, should you really need to provide that it's your
0: house? Do you need to prove mm. that? If you're on your own property, I don't know. I mean, well, no, you shouldn't have to provide more than that. No. And really, if it's, if it's come down to the point where you're contracted with a protection service, maybe ahead of time you should tell the protection service, hey, here's a photo of me. Uh, here's here's what my name is. I I I have this color skin. I talk with an accent. I don't know, like anything mm-hmm. that the protection service mm-hmm. might want to know. Maybe when the protection service contracts you, uh, contracts with you, they say we request a photo so that when the officers arrive at a location, your property, they can pull up a photo on the computer to say, oh, this is what this guy looks like. Like you know, there's so many possibilities. But basically, what you have to keep in mind at all times is when you're approached as a private individual. What are your requirements? What, 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 what are your rights? And your rights are not to be aggressed against mm-hmm. in any case. Mm-hmm. That's it. Unless you are initiating force. Yep. There's the exception. That's it. Now,
3: I, I like to kind of segue to this uh, anonymous Supreme Court authorizes warrantless stops and searches based on anonymous tips. <sighs> so this kind of, it, we just yeah. came from a story where an anonymous tip essentially caused the guy's rights to, to be violated Now, the U.S. Supreme Court is saying that, yeah, uh,
0: yay, go tyranny, go. Yeah, in a very firm five-to-four split decision, (laughs) by the way,
3: because the
0: law is so clear. What's interesting (laughs) here is, like, if you
3: talk to anybody that lives in uh, East Germany, you know, Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, right? It was maybe 20, 20, 25, 30 years ago. Okay, I'm getting old. (laughs) (laughs) I still think we're in the 90s. You're not talking about this in high school anymore, man. (laughs) Yeah. So they, they would say that the, the system, the people were put into compliance because based upon neighbors snitching. And it was a huge network of people that would just snitch. And, and that's kind of how the system worked where you were aggressed against. And you you basically, before you spoke to your neighbor, you would make sure that no one else would be looking around. And you'd be maybe even thinking that, is my neighbor going to snitch on me now? Mm. Am I going to be put to, sent away uh, because of what I'm saying? Uh, this is kind of the similar thing that's happening now, and it's being justified by the state to say that they can actually
0: Ooh. continue to do this. Hell of a perspective. Creepy. Yeah, it is creepy. creepy. And it comes down, again, to violation of those natural rights yeah. you have not to be aggressed against, not to have force initiated against you. So... This is crazy, right? The idea that this freedom-loving land that the United States could could now, through its court system, basically say, yeah, anonymous tips, that's okay. And what's really bad about that uh, is you get an abusive bureaucracy, if, right? Maybe, hmm. maybe you've got, and, and, and you know, oh, this is so crazy, isn't it? Even if you get a, a, a system where, okay, look, if you're a cop, you have to at least say that you got a phone call and it's got to be provable like there's got to be a phone record or something mm-hmm. fine then you're a power tripping copy by a burner cell phone i was just gonna call say, yourself done
3: you can you can right? essentially violate anybody's rights outright but no matter right. what and now it, and it's no not it's what. not an
0: argument about it's, it's not an argument about whether or not you think bureaucrats and government agents are good people it's just look is there an opportunity for rife abuse mm-hmm. being monopolized mm-hmm. and not market market accountable If the answer is yes, then it's going to crop up. And in this case, anonymous tipsters being able to uh, be the justification for why you're being stopped Mm -hmm. on the road, that means, look, in a realistic sense, that means anybody in the United States can be stopped on the road at any time and have a fishing expedition go on just because some anonymous cop with a burner phone— I mean, anonymous uh, tipster— Phoned the cops and said, "I think that person has drugs in their car. You yeah, should th- search it." Not even their car. You could talk about the uh, New York City stop and frisk, <sighs> right? Like incredibly racist, incredibly uh, anti-freedom in its application. Yeah, it's incredibly racist, but on its fundamental basis, they it's have court just, systems. Yeah, to,
3: yeah you got to go out and violate people's rights. Yeah, well, if you don't, you're going
0: to be internally. Um, <laughs> reprimanded for it. Like, was that, oh that, my that, God. That cop that was speaking anonymously said that his, uh, what was it his, his, uh, his captain or something said, or maybe it was a sergeant that said something about uh, we're going to go out and violate people's rights today.
3: Mm. And the big speech in the room. Yeah. yeah. yeah before they go. It was New get, York and get all riled and up. Yeah. It's like, incredible.
0: It, it's just, it's amazing because that's how this stuff devolves, right? And <sighs> it's about that monopolization of power. Yeah. You know, because Stefan mentioned, right, that you, you, maybe all of this stuff is a market incentive. And I, you know, yeah, it's, it's just obstruction. It slows down progress mm-hmm. and freedom. Mm-hmm. It snuffs it out in some cases. You know, there is no, when you're, when, you're, when you're looking at an end result, the path to that result is so very rarely, if ever at all, a straight line. It, there's lots of different sort of uh, situations that happen individually along that path. That are different, you know. Some when I look at the the, how the market works in general, right? Uh, Sometimes there's a market failure, you know, a business closes up shop and goes bankrupt. Um, That doesn't mean that a market is unproductive. It means there was an instance of failure. There are also instances of success where uh, where businesses grow and become prosperous and successful. So either thing can happen. And in the case of uh, in the case of when a state impedes growth. I think that growth still happens I think the market still wins whether or not you want it to yeah. right mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it slows it down and it, it, it but it's is it that market incentive is it providing now it's it, it, it is just flatly an impediment right mm-hmm. doesn't stop it but it does slow it down um, did, I don't know where I got did from did, that did you <laughs> want to do one more
3: because we're coming up to a uh, we're a either coming up to it or past the two hour mark. Uh, I don't know if
0: you wanted to get to one more that you really wanted to get to here uh, or, you know, I really would like to do that polygamy one. Cause okay, I, yeah, you know, sure. this is, this is a, um, this, this topic always really interests me because it's about culture and, and personal mm. proclivities and how mm-hmm. we object, mm-hmm. how we, how we, uh, project those personal proclivities, uh, onto, uh, others and, and, and groups of other people. Right. So, an article from Slate is arguing for the legalization of polygamy. And I guess from Slate Yay! this shouldn't be... Well, you know, from Slate it shouldn't be well, surprising because yeah, yeah. Slate's very left-wing, right? That makes sense, um, yeah. So left-wing news sources are usually very into the sexual liberation stuff, right? Um, I'm
3: kind of excited that this is being talked about in more of a mainstream, uh, in a sense, yeah. and, and not so uh, um, religious cultural, cultural, you know... Like even like yeah. Yeah, the show Big love kind of uh brought out brought forth the, the discussion on polygamy and sure. whatnot, not too yeah, it and did that that, that reality t v show I think I never actually watched it, but there was uh it was a reality t v show really? that was based upon yeah polygamous family in Utah,
0: oh, I didn't know that. Okay, interesting. Um, but there's... Okay, so here, here's what I what I think of when I see stories like this. And, and it's a very interesting... You know, Actually, there's some really good writing in here. They did talk about uh, a lot of different uh, sort of, you know, the arguments and counter-arguments to uh, legalization of polygamy. But what this says to me is about... Uh, it, it talks about cultural... Um, I want to say hang-ups in a way. Because, okay, here... I'm not even really an advocate of polygamy per se. I'm just an advocate of letting people live as they choose to live, right? So I don't care if it's a a family with a patriarch at the head, you know, one man and several women and then the children, or if it's one woman and several men and the children. That'd be interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. It's
3: possible, yeah, sure. Or
0: if it's, you know, like uh, four men and four women or two men and... 12 women there we go that's <laughs> that's the that's the configuration no i but like what i'm saying is i don't really care what the configuration is i'm not really i'm i don't care about uh, polygamy or polyamory adults. or whatever right yeah what's what is polyamory what's that polyamory is is those multiple configurations okay, i was talking okay, about right where okay. you have got you've got people who can love more so than one polygamy is specifically male one male multiple wives or, or one wife and multiple husbands. Okay, right. It, it's it's basically um, a patriarch or matriarch. Okay, so okay. there is a head of the family, right? And and I guess polyamory would be more of an informalized, generalized relationship. That'd
3: be like um, the hippie communes,
2: dude.
0: <laughs> Where they just all
3: shared. This each is my wives.
0: first wife, Starflower, and my <laughs> second husband. Um, I don't know. What's a what's a hippie guy name? I don't know. I, um, no, I kind of grew up I got hippie. Nothing. Uh, yeah, yeah, man. What the heck? Uh, Autumn Ethan. harvest. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay, so but but the point is you have these potentials for for very different relationship configurations. And I think that the reason that people don't like uh certain configurations, for example, uh polyamory, is basically because if you get okay, you you if you get yourself into a relationship and you look at your partner and you say, "I don't want my partner to uh, go and have sex with somebody else," right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's not unreasonable in some cases. Like if that's your preference and if that's your partner's preference, then that's great. That's basically that's kind of your guys's contract between each other, right? Yeah. You set these boundaries, mm-hmm. and it's up to each one of you to either maintain those boundaries or adjust those boundaries in the future uh, consensually, right? If you go outside of those boundaries. In a deceptive fashion, then you basically are kind of a jerk. <laughs> like you, the you, YAD principle, yeah, yeah, you're a dick principle, right? So it's it's interesting to look at, and I'm not saying that I'm not saying that everybody should you know have this polyamorous lifestyle or whatever. I don't really care. What I care about is your ability to determine that for yourself. So where I was going with this cultural proclivity is that. I look at, I look at uh, a case where somebody might want to be in a relationship where their partner is allowed to uh, uh, engage sexually with others, and why, okay, if you, if you haven't established that voluntary contract of being exclusive to one another, mm-hmm. then what is the problem? Like, I don't understand the logical root. Of why that would be a problem. Okay,
3: uh, let me let me be the the cultural uh, person here. So, s- yes. sex is intimate. You're in, being intimate, and you're sharing this connection of love. Right. So that is that's where you draw the line. With regards to uh, how you can have relationships, okay, with yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So basically, it's this idea that um, you know, having a coffee is one thing with so- having a coffee with somebody is one thing, having sex with them is something else, <laughs> and and you know, to a point, that's yeah. true, right? There are yeah. certainly different chemical reactions in the body that take place in respect to sex. It's very unique. It's not having a cup of coffee, but in a, in an ethical sense. There actually doesn't seem to be a difference. Like you're drawing this arbitrary line at you can have fun with somebody else, but not too much. Right. I guess
3: I'm just kind of just thinking off the top of my head. Maybe it could be because there's another
0: life might be the result of that sexual encounter. Yeah, there are different consequences, right? And if you if you drink alcohol with somebody as opposed to coffee, then your your health is going to be affected Mm -hmm. differently. Mm -hmm. So, like, here's the thing, right? It's Again, I want to I want to make sure that people don't get the wrong impression. Like, I'm not saying that um, uh, relationships that are founded on you know uh, uh, exclusive uh, sexual pairings. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not saying that that's bad. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm. What I'm saying is that you have to you have to have the freedom to determine that for yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's it's that's just part of living the human condition. Like. There's now, now, when it comes to this polygamy thing, some people would object
3: to the fact that you know lots of the polygamist families are they're closed off and from away from society, and you have oh. like sexual uh, molestation of children, like a, like an eighty year old marrying a fourteen year old type yeah, of thing, like yeah, that's, that's that's really creepy. We're not saying that, that we're that that that's cool, right? no, and, that's, and but a that's a cultural th- thing that is is unique to these societies that are closed off, and they don't allow these women to. Be yeah. independent.
0: It's it's part of it's partly that. And 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 I come back to the challenge issued by friends of mine is you can't blame everything on the government. It's just give me a chance, <laughs> right? And, yeah. and in this case, look, a lot of those communities are closed off because um, culture has dictated that monopolized police forces basically abuse these people, right? Yeah. So if you are, let's say, um, actually in the Slate article, come to think of it, they point this out, right? So let's say you've, you're you a child in a polygamous family and you see a neighbor being abused Maybe you don't want to call the police specifically because you know if the police come to your home and they do, by happenstance, figure out, hey, wait a second, this looks like a polygamous family. So now not only are they dealing with whatever you reported, maybe quite justly, but also now you've embroiled yourself in the legal system that does not approve of your family structure. And so now you might have just caused a huge bundle of problems for Mm. your family better just not to get involved. And not only not only when you see a victim somewhere else, but maybe even when you're victimized yourself. Yeah, okay, so you are you're you're being you're being beaten, you're being raped, whatever, right? Like there's some some really serious stuff going on and you are a massive you're massively a victim. But you know if you call the police, if you call the agents of protection, you know, so called, then your whole family might become victimized by the state. Isolating people like that causes some massive cultural uh, uh, distortion. Yeah, I think that it's a lot easier for those communities to basically embrace uh, what I am going to call cultural nonsense and idiocy mm-hmm. in 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 doing things like marrying eighty year olds uh, uh, and 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 fourteen year olds together. Mm-hmm. Right? You 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 make you make this this den of of uh, of really unethical behavior possible, because I don't think a fourteen-year-old is going to voluntarily enter into that sort of a relationship, right? I think that that yeah, I don't think their brain is there's, quite there's, developed enough to to even make only, that decision. Not only that, that no, how? not not how? not even that. Like, I think there's just it's easier to coerce and pressure is. somebody into yeah. that when well, that community is closed off, yeah, exactly. when there are so many. Uh, options that are being uh, not, uh, you know, not presented. yeah, not presented exactly,
3: and, and and everyone around you is saying that it's all normal and completely fine, and the authorities in your life are saying that you have to do this. This is what you do and everything. Right. So I don't know. It's tough, and I guess on that subject of of I guess we're kind of going away from from polygamy, but yeah. the the when do you like when do you get to choose. Being a kid, when do you get to choose like your own path? Like, because like the idea that twenty-one or eighteen, yeah, that's I think that's total nonsense. Well, yeah, like, it's what, arbitrary. All of a sudden, yeah. one an age, and then oh, you get these special right? You you are a full adult. Like, <laughs> I think that's total nonsense. But like, there are, are, is there some science to support that you brain? Like, how do you say like you are a full adult uh, because your yeah. brain is now developed enough and you can make all these decisions on your own type of thing? Like, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, like when, when it comes to uh, circumcision of of males in 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 Muslim cultures, they make that decision when they're 13 or 14, and that's when they become a male. That's when they become an adult and and whatnot. I, I honestly don't think that like could an, a 13 year old boy okay. make that decision for themselves. I don't know if that if that's a if that's a the right age to make that decision. And of course, right. you have that same cultural thing where people just that's what you do, and authorities telling you that's what you do. And if you don't, you're not a man or whatever, and how it works. <laughs> right. Okay. So, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, you're, you're, you're
0: asking about where that arbitrary line... Yeah. You know, is there a place to draw it? And I think the answer is no. Uh, here, consider this, and I, I need to preface this carefully. Um, I've become interested recently in social Darwinism. Ah. Okay. And social Darwinism, the reason I have to preface this carefully is because when people hear that... Um, Very negative. Well, yeah. Yeah. Because social Darwinism has been used to justify things like uh, 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 eugenics. Yes. Right? That kind of stuff. (laughs) Because social Darwinism (laughs) in the hands hands of a statist is basically a way to, well, how do you control the outcome of a population? How do you evolve it favorably? How do you use force to um, uh, evolve a society? So, social Darwinism as a concept, though, seems actually rather rational to me, right? Okay. Uh, So... Here, here's how this works for me in respect to where, that, where you draw the arbitrary line. Okay, I should say it seems rational because it seems just as rational to me as evolution. Mm. Um, you know, it, uh, survival of the fittest. And that doesn't mm-hmm. mean, by the way, survival is the strongest. It means survival of those that fit best. The ones that can adapt most quickly to their environment. I exactly. Think that's the definition. So, yeah. so in, in respect to social Darwinism, let's say, okay, let's, let's say you have two societies. One society has no respect f- at all for children. Children are essentially treated as garbage. Uh, hmm. go, run with run with I me know those, I'm, okay? just kinda, I'm just of so, I'm just thinking like so, now is what- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh but don't! That, that, All right. that so, thing you posted there
3: the other day, yeah. So
0: one one society treats their children badly. Uh, children, as a result, uh, uh, are dysfunctional, violent, uh, unable to make uh, good judgment calls. Uh, Children basically are dysfunctional creatures in that society. Mm -hmm. You have another society that treats children with deep respect, uh, that treats children very well, that offers them support, love, and encouragement. These children are able to make good judgment calls. These children are able to grow up to be successful people. So... Equ- treats them equally is is I guess possibly. A better term. Well, I'm just I'm just. Well, you say to look good for,
3: like uh, that could be totally subjective. That could good. be totally
0: subjective. What I'm looking for is a comparison between the two societies to uh, to demonstrate uh, what I think is a rational social Darwinist sort of approach. Okay, okay. So obviously, the society that treats their children badly is going to have massive disadvantages as compared to the society that treats their children positively. Yeah. Right. Yep. So the reason that I'm that I'm saying all of this is because I need to say something else that I think might be quite shocking, and that is that I think you have the right of self ownership immediately when you are born. Mm. You have no concept of it, you have no way to understand it, but I do believe that you possess the uh, the right of self ownership even as an infant who cannot fend for themselves. Okay. Okay. I also believe that nobody has a positive obligation to care for an infant not even the mother mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. there's an ethical foundation for that I think there's a cultural foundation for that and that's why I talk about social Darwinism
3: The maternity uh, instinct and, and what not even too. that not I don't even know, that. I, think like, that, I think that I think that develops yeah but I'm not even talking about that well if you want to talk about evolution and and, and social Darwinism they yeah, yes, evo- like evolu- the evolution of a human being to care for your child, to go to your child when they're screaming. Like that is that's something that's like built into our DNA to do that in a sense. Yes. I'm not saying that you are obligated socially. Ah, uh, that's right. Yeah, right. I'm not saying that in that sense, but I'm saying that like there's a there's a there's something inside you that is, you know, you need to like I don't know being a dad and 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 caring for my my kid like. I will sacrifice sleep. I will sacrifice my free time. I will sacrifice everything to make it so he is comfortable. To his make it so his needs are met. And I'm doing that because I love him, and I he's part. He's like half of me in a sense, in a DNA mm-hmm. sense, and and that's my own personal belief in that. And I that's that's the drive and the why and the reasoning that I do that. Now, other people, I don't want to put guns in people's faces to say that they have
0: to do that same thing, because that's right. not cool. That's, but- that's and, and it's important to understand, I think, that one society that fosters that sort of attitude yes. and approach will be far more successful than a society that does not. It's showing more value. And it just by the very fact that when you raise kids
3: who peacefully, they're better attuned to the world, they make choices, they make better
0: choices mm-hmm. in the world. So the point is... Not Okay, where should that arbitrary line be drawn? I think the answer is nowhere. And I think the Mm. answer is more in respect to how society evolves to uh, treat children, to give children the support that they need to develop successfully in life. I think, yeah, when you're four years old you should be able to Mm -hmm. say, yes, I consent to marry an 80-year-old. I think you have that right, but I think also that a society that allows you to do that without really trying to guide you in a more valuable life path, without trying to tell you, look, that's a really bad idea, Mm -hmm. that's a terrible Mm -hmm. decision, Mm -hmm. I think that that society provides for less value expression, uh, or rather that society provides for more value expression than a society, uh, I might have worded this wrong, but anyway, a <laughs> I society that, I you mean, yeah, yeah. I, you understand, right? A society that doesn't provide that support provides less value expression in its social evolution. So so in a situation where you have old people marrying young people,
3: people would just see it as a reputation-based. Maybe they're not the sle- the most, uh, they're kind of a sleazy-ish type person if they they're going to be marrying a younger person. Maybe the family that is married is—I would—I don't want to say—allowing the person, the young person, to like. There's obviously some something screwed up psychologically. If you if you like a twenty-year-old wants to marry an eight-year-old, like there might be some issues. Yeah, that
0: that are, that have been caused possibly by you you're your being being raised as It's dysfunctional, right? It's yeah. dysfunctional, and that's again where these where these market dysfunctions come from. Is it, they they well what 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 they result in rather is a, a lack of value. It's simple. Yeah. It's really simple. Mm-hmm. So that's why I that's why I've been finding social Darwinism to be kind of fascinating lately. It's because it really helps to conceptualize how societies develop in an open market. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and, and again, remember I point out again, the path to an end is never a straight one. There, there are always good and bad scenarios and situations that crop up, but I don't think the answer to those bad, and, those bad scenarios is to centralize how we approach them. I think, I think the yeah. answer is to provide exactly. as much freedom as possible uh, so that people can take advantage okay. of positive value opportunities. And
3: one possibility would be, you know, again, the insurance company. If if you if you're if your insurance company is gonna give you uh, give your children uh, full adult rights in a sense at a certain age, that age will be determined by multiple companies figuring out what the best uh, what the best way to insure you is at a certain you know like yeah the market's going to figure these things out there might be an arbitrary age that that the market kind of determines possibly be, yeah but that if, if that does happen that is going to be based upon the market principles of why that that is happening right now it's just
0: 18 because school or nineteen, or twenty-one, or, or, or yeah, or sixteen, <laughs> or fourteen, depending on where you like for for different reasons too. Yeah, like it, yeah. Ugh, it's just ridiculous, right? they so it's so arbitrary and also so inconsistent around mm-hmm. the world, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, That's true too. Yeah, <laughs> it's nonsense.
3: Um, I think. Well, like, I don't know. Do you want to make this a full two and a half? Like on the money? No, no, no. We got no, a couple no. minutes no. before to make it. To no, that. we should.
0: We should have ended okay. uh, quite a while ago. So I'm just
3: I'm just thinking of syndication and the show being a full two and a half hour mark oh uh, how, many, <laughs> how many
0: other shows how many other shows I adhere know, to I the know, formatting I standards know. that we do for liberty I express because it's kind of funny right like our show for for the first hour uh well i guess for the first if you're listening to this on the rss stream it's like oh, 56 it, minutes ish. 56 yeah 50 or no it's a little bit less now yeah it's 54 no, it's, i think it's six seven, I mean, no, it's, 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 it should be 56 and three uh, yeah. Was it's, it three minutes? I thought it was four minutes of Or
3: maybe it is four.
0: Hmm. Anyway. Um Ooh, I hope it's I hope I have the right amounts. <laughs> 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 anyway, okay. But the 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 like we we, we we adhere to some pretty strict formatting, apparently strict I don't know, maybe i <laughs> adhere to strict formatting. Anyway, but but so many other podcasts out there, like they're gonna be an hour and twenty minutes or an hour mm-hmm. and eight minutes mm-hmm. and uh, two hours and twenty three minutes or it's like it is it doesn't it's, it's I know not a big deal. I was so. just
3: trying to get one more story out of you, but oh. we're all
0: <laughs> No, not happening. <laughs> All right. So I think uh, that's good enough. We're going to end off there. So thank you so much for listening. And uh, yeah, I guess, I don't know. I, uh, oh, uh, let us know about that feedback for your uh, Oh, yeah, the Bitcoin there. thing. I yeah. really do want to know about the Bitcoin, like the Bitcoin ATMs thing. I would really appreciate feedback on that. So feedback at com is where you can send that. I will keep my eye out for it, and I really do appreciate it. Uh, if you want to visit you'll get the latest updates, including that Bitcoin ATM article. Woo! Uh, Twitter is uh, ed, the uh, at ed And Ethan, Uh, Facebook, Ed and Ethan, all that good stuff. Visit, comment. Why don't you call more often? Visit, (laughs) really, come on. We're lonely and bored. We we don't have a live show
3: anymore, so you can't call us, uh, but you can still uh, send us messages and we will read your stuff. Yeah, you can't call us because we thank mm. you by the way too for everyone who's been uh, sending us uh, some bitcoin we've got some bitcoin recently uh, after announcing we were yeah. ending the show and and all the good uh, com- uh positive comments and stuff like that and yeah we're gonna talk bitcoin here so we're not gonna not talk bitcoin
0: that's right so. we will talk bitcoin from time to time mm-hmm. and all that good stuff all right thanks a bunch for listening this is ed and Ethan.